I'm Jordan Ferguson. And I'm Kate McKinnon. And you are listening to the Geek Down Podcast. Welcome to the Geek Down Podcast, the show where two friends and geeks sit down and try to figure out where their fandoms intersect. My name is Caitlin McKinnon. Hey, my name is Jordan Ferguson. And this is episode 62. 62. What is not mentioned is we also talk about chit-chat and news. <laughs> we talk about all sorts of things. I, we do. But I just always feel like we we have that at the intro. And if you're new and you're like, oh, they're going to start talking about like fandomy stuff. And then we launch into like chit chat news. You'd we be like, what's going talk on? Talk about traffic and weather. and We do actually. Legit. <laughs> current items of the day. Very local and regional. For instance, today it is supposed to be warm out, but it is in fact quite nippy. <laughs> yes. Can I get through the preamble before we launch into that? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. If you would like to listen to all of our preamble... And all of our chit-chat and all of our fandom items, there are a few ways you can do that, mainly two. You've probably figured out one of them. <laughs> You're probably already listening via one of them now. One of them is soundcloud.com slash geekdownpod. If you give us a follow on there, you will be notified every time a new episode goes live. And if while you're there, you're like, I don't want to pay attention to this. Oh, look, there's a button. If you click that button, it'll take you to iTunes. When you're at iTunes, you can just click subscribe. And that means that whenever an episode happens to... to come up come about it'll just automatically be there it will just be there might be at like noon on a tuesday might be in the middle of the night on a monday overnight you don't even have to worry about it sometimes we get crazy and we give them to you on a thursday sometimes that that may happen sooner than later won't matter to you the only person who needs to worry about it is your man's chauncey the geek down internet elf i think we he needs like a like he needs some kind of sound. I need a sting. Yeah, we'll work on a sting for Chauncey. He's probably low key, like very irritated that oh. we have not. Or some like funk. I feel like he's like a funk elf. <laughs> he's a he's a funky elf. Yeah, Chauncey the funky geek down the internet. Elf. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I'll see what I can do there. But when he gets the, he gets the notice that it's time, he just packs his satchel full of geek down episodes and commences to do it to you in your ear hole. But nicely. Gently. Not sexual at all. Nope. Not in any way. Totally consensual. He always uses protection. <laughs> we are idiots. <laughs> uh, if you would like to let us know that we are idiots, there are a few ways you can do that. We have a Twitter feed at GeekDownPod or at our Facebook group, which is at www.facebook.com forward slash GeekDownPod. And we have an email address. We so do. Sometimes we don't mention it, but it's at GeekDownPod at gmail.com. It's pretty simple to remember. If you would like to contact us via electronic mail, use geekdownpod at gmail.com. And not carrier pigeon or any other way. Or any other way. Geekdownpod at gmail.com. Amateur detectives. <laughs> um, and I think that's it. That's all the business. Oh, except. Uh, oh, yes. Very important. Um, if you like what you hear on the Geekdown Pod and you're like, you know what? I'm sick of these dollars I have sitting around in my pocket. They're, they're just they're just here. They're just sitting. They're weighing me down. I could get like, you know, an extra, I could save an extra two minutes on my commute to work if I just lighten my pants a little bit. It's a real easy way you can put that money to use. Yeah. Patreon.com slash GeekdownPod. We, we have a Patreon. We do have a Patreon. It's a, it's a nice Patreon too. It's a very clean and tidy Patreon. Yeah. 
We give you we give you fun facts about the shows. Sometimes Chauncey shows up. Sometimes is Chauncey going to show up? Dear God, I was uninformed. <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I have to prepare. Um, it's where you can get previews for the next episode or playlists. Playlist. The Geek Down playlist goes live every Tuesday. I, and listen, I've been a little busy this week for your man's. I've been slacking a little bit. The notice for the playlist went out on the Twitter, but the Patreon needs a little a little spit polish. I will get to that this weekend, which means you'll already have it by the time you're listening to this. There you go. The beauty of linear time. <laughs> well, friends, you got to forgive me. I'm like directly coming off an overnight right now. So I think it's going well. All the peppiness you got last week is a little muted this week. Well, so. I'm I'm always peppy. So <laughs> you you more than make up with it. But yes, patreon.com slash geekdownpod if you would like to uh, support us. We have met our first goal, chair for K2K17. How are you feeling? You comfortable? Very comfortable. You look so regal sitting there. It's this great. lumbar support, I cannot tell you. I honestly, it's actually fantastic. It's like I'm going to leave here and my back's not going to hurt. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> I'm not going to be spasming on the train. Yeah, <laughs> back to Hamilton. Spasm, spasm. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's I think that's every, all the ways you can get at us, support the show. We would appreciate it if you would like. Uh, yeah. So chit chat. Do we have anything? Um, no. My crazy time at work has now come to a close. You've been saying that for like a month. I feel like. Well, it's been a crazy time at work for a month. <laughs> Um, and now it's come to a close. You're going to stand by that? But it's, it's come to a close? Well, I mean, work, there's lots of work to do, and I, but I like being busy. I just was doing extra work, and there was a more work than usual, and that was not fun because I would come home and I would do more work after work, which if you've ever had two or three jobs is not fun. It is, it is minus fun. It is negative fun. <laughs> negative fun. Now I'm at fun because I, I really do love the job I do. And I like, like I said, being busy. So that is fun for me. I know. I'm a weirdo. That's fine. Um, but I just don't like being Whatever so floats busy. Your dingy, kid. I don't like being so busy that I can't watch TV. That is upsetting to me. That is the baseline. Yeah. And Not I have be so busy that we cannot watch TV. I haven't watched. The only thing I watched was uh, last night... Or yesterday, I watched the season finale of Star Wars Rebels. Oh, uh, okay. It was a great. It was great. It wasn't like super amazing, but it was great. <laughs> so there's a major development in my life. Oh. Friends, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you will recall, you will remember, you will be aware of the saga of my no frills. Yes. Non-Canadians, no frills is the, the budget chain of grocery stores where the groceries are cheaper because there are no frills. Yeah, no frills at all. What's that? You want like a proper functioning roof? That's a frill. <laughs> which means sometimes the roof collapses, which resulted in the closure of my no frills. Um, during the winter. Uh, in the, yeah, basically in December. I live in a authentic neighborhood. But there are a That's... lot of marginalized folks, a lot of lower income folks, mm -hmm. which means basically you're creating basically a food shortage in the neighborhood. And there yeah. was a lot of worry because apparently no frills is like a franchise system, right? Yeah. So it's like no frills is not a company. If the shit goes pear shaped, it's like no frills is going to come in and pay for all the infrastructure to get like repaired. Yeah. That's on the owner. So there was some concern that maybe they were just going to cut their losses and be like, eh, fuck it, sell the land and put a, put a fucking condo there because it's Toronto and that's what happens everywhere. Or put a shoppers. It's all that happens in Toronto now. Yeah. It's fucking shoppers, drug marts show up everywhere. But we got word, Caitlin, after four months of 
fucking hopping on that shuttle <gasps> to, the, to Peter's at Dundas and Lansdowne that V's is reopening. <gasps> Guess what day the Parkdale No Frills is reopening? What day? April 20th. Really? The Parkdale No Frills is reopening on 420. That's amazing. Parkdale? If we don't burn this motherfucker down. If that, if there's no tailgate parties, if that place isn't, as the kids say, lit AF, if it is not turnt, if at, listen, if there's not like fucking Paul Oakenfold really digging myself <laughs> play, playing in there, if there's not, you know, the unsist of, if, there, if Dead Mouse isn't there personally spinning, I, I would be very disappointed. This is a major event. I know a person who knows a person who knows Dead Mouse. <laughs> Can tell him <laughs> that he should come to V's. It really seems like the sort of thing Dead Mouse would do when he's bored one day. I would not surprise me if he's yeah. actually if he's actually there spinning in the parking lot. Um, but there at least has to be streamers or a giveaway or something. Oh, like a tailgate, like something. We got we got to do we got to do this right. Hot dogs, maybe. Listen, I will be there. I get done work at like I'll be like first through the door. I get done work at six thirty a.m. I'll be back in the neighborhood and like an hour later, and I will be there at the door. I'm very excited for you. <laughs> so am I. Um, food deserts are actually a huge problem in lower income neighborhoods. They really are. And like, yeah, the only other option was a chain called uh, Freshco, which is technically within walking distance of where the no frills was, but it's, uh, there's a lot of frills at that store. Yeah. Much higher overhead. I'm not going to lie. Much more overall pleasant shopping experience, but <laughs> you pay for it and yeah. I don't want to pay for it. I want to. I want a slightly crushed box and I want it to be a dollar. <laughs> I, want, I want a ding bo- box of granola and, uh, you know, bread with the 50% off sticker on it because it's, it's going to go, it's gonna go bad, bad in two days. And I want, uh, <laughs> I want aromatic shoppers surrounding me yeah. <laughs> at all times. I'm willing to pay less. I'm willing to endure that to pay less and to have it be like literally two minute walk from my house. And it's actually, it's a very significant drop in price. Like I remember the days where we could sort of decide where we wanted to go to go shopping and... And I don't know how anybody shops at a Loblaws. I, on, the only time I go to a Loblaws is if I need a, like a specialty vegan cheese yeah, item. Yeah, that's like the only reason to go there. Um, same with Fortino's. They're own, it's all owned by Loblaws. But it, there's like this cream cheese I buy and it's basically the only place you can get it. So that's where I go. Fortino's, my God. It's a very, it, there's only one Fortino's I know of in Toronto and it was, it's, again, this is... <laughs> Local talk. I think it's out in Saga because no, no, it's it's, stupid mat shops. That one. No, it's right at uh, Lawrence West Station um, because I used to live at Eglinton West Station, and it was one. It was in between work and home, and I could stop off and and grab it, grab some stuff at Fortino's. They have very good produce. Because it's Italian. Good to know. Stupid yeah. Matt, stop eating Hot Pockets and buy some produce from Fortino's. Buy produce at Fortino's. Don't buy Hot Pockets. Go to, go to No Frills to buy Hot Pockets. Dude eats Hot Pockets. Listen, we forgot to mention this. Snack Talk. <laughs> the, the people love Snack Talk. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of feedback from the Fruit Loop segment last, <laughs> last week. Oh, also, uh, Mr. Malosh let me know that he greatly disagrees with my assessment of Sweet Chili Heat Doritos. Like, oh, really? Like, it is the flavor of choice in his household. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are anymore. Who are you? <laughs> I can't been, be friends. I've been in your house. I've fed your son, and I don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> Sweet Chili Heat Doritos as your flavor. What? What? Nonsense. Um, yeah, so Snack Talk. Uh, what, what I got this weekend for the snack? Because, you know, this is, I'm, I'm trying to be a little marginally more responsible. Listen, I'm a very weak man and food is my only joy. So, <laughs> Wow. So I need something in here. Well, something I encountered at the No Frills that I was not expecting to be as good as it was, and it's a real weird combination, wasabi Pringles. Huh. You gotta like wasabi. 
because it's it's a very alarmingly good. Yeah, oh, it tastes okay. like. I mean, I'm sure if you like actually get like handmade wasabi, like this tastes like the shit you get when you like you know go to you know, sushi ren kiosk in the middle of a mall, right? And it's yeah. got that little green turd on the side of it, like yeah. It's what is that? It's actually like horseradish and yeah, so something? it's Japanese horseradish. Um, yeah. But it tastes like that. I'm sure if you know, any connoisseurs of wasabi would be horrified by this notion. But, <laughs> but listen, it do, does me all right. I like, a little, I like a little kick. And also, I forgot to mention this on our outing to Walmart yeah. last week to get the chair. I was unaware that there are Hawaiian pizza pops. Oh, that's just, yeah. Number one, I, ew. Yeah, it's so gross. Follow up, ew. Poutine pizza pops? Yeah, no. Uh-uh. I was just grossed out by those. Caitlin was like actually horrified. Like, yeah. They keep on trying to make poutine a thing for everything. Poutine doesn't have to go in everything. It just, maybe, maybe you could say chips because chips sometimes they do crazy flavors and that's fun, <laughs> but really not, not pizza pop. Like, you, don't, you don't have to put poutine in a pouch. No, no, it's, and just stop making it a thing. Stop it. Like, like poutine pizza. Really? No. It's, that's gross. That is disgusting. Um, this could be a schism in our relationship, but we should probably establish it. Pineapple on pizza, yeah or nay? Nay! God bless your heart. This is up top. It's one of the only things we agree about. Um, <laughs> one of the few. No, pineapple on pizza is disgusting. Horrifying. Horrifying. You've people are, anim- people are animals. One piece of pineapple wrecks basically the entire pizza. Oh, God, pizza. yeah. Listen. It, so, just, it has an effect. Uh, listen, when my relationship was disintegrating, uh, we the, uh, again, the only joy we found was in food. We ate a lot of fucking pizza. Yeah. Like, they basically knew us by name at the local Pizza Pizza. Yeah. That was a fun last year of our relationship. Uh, <laughs> but we would always split. Yeah. And she would get, like, Hawaii. She would get pineapple on her half. Mm-mm. And I would basically have, like, all the meat on my half. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, some errant wedge of pineapple Ooh. would, like, get under the cheese on my side. Oh. And it's instant fucking vomit. If you're just like, man, I can't wait to just hardline this salt directly into my veins <laughs> you take that bite and just that, that juice just bursts in your oh. mouth it's like <laughs> that's disgusting so yeah i listen i know you're out there i know people are yelling i i, I know people are yelling right i know now. someone personally i i'm surprised i'm still friends with them but there's someone i know personally i can't remember who who it is at the moment who likes pineapple on yeah, pizza. i know you're out there and you're yelling and you have very strong opinions about pineapple on pizza they're incorrect opinions they but. are I'm sorry to say. More power to you, but don't don't try it with us. No, we'll stab you. The, the Geek Down Podcast is anti anti pineapple and pizza. Uh, did you do anything fun this week? No, just work, work, work. Um, except that last night I played D and D. Are we still still trying to make it out of the the from no, under the curse of no, Strahd? That this is a different group. The curse of Strahd is like every half year. It's a demi year thing. Good lord. Um, you have so many campaigns going. But this campaign is, it's supposed to be every weekish. We We all work weird shifts so we don't always get together. Um, but it's just like my group and it was a great time we had last night. Thank you, Luke, for DMing. Um, and yeah, we have we always have a good time. Listen, in light of uh, you know the ongoing experiment happening in the bonus episodes where uh, Caitlin is teaching me D&D, $10 a month on patreon.com slash geekdownpod. You get access to those episodes. Um, I happened to glance through like a campaign book yeah. in a bookstore. Yeah. And I just opened it up. Those things are like packed four columns deep per page. And I'm just like, what is... <laughs> yeah. Are they just like really elaborate? Like choose your own adventures? Everything had like a number and a letter attached to it. Like, <laughs> like W6. And then it had like two paragraphs about like a scenario. And I'm like, what is this like... Is it like a choose your own adventure type thing? Um, if you're doing one of those, like kind of, yeah. Um, 
the thing is... Like, you're on W6, and then you make some choice, and if it works, you go to, like, X33. Like. Yeah, basically. Like, there, th- the problem is, even though these campaigns are very elaborate, very well written, um, as any DM or GM would know, your players very rarely do what you expect or want <laughs> them to. So even if you... The, the, the best thing to do is to plan, sort of, have a kind of an idea of what's going on and try and lead them somewhere, but also know... Don't try and plan it too heavily until they get to, like, the dungeon, <laughs> because they, they could honestly just be like, actually, no, we're going to visit the fairy queen first instead i'm going for a swim yeah basically um so well, don't give too much away more on that in the bonus episodes but i was yeah. just but yes yeah, they, they are alarmed by the density of these books i was like what have i fucking gotten into with yeah. this and mostly most of that because for the campaign you w- as a player you would never have to buy really a campaign book it would be mm. up to the dm um and it's for the dm right so they've done the work of these are the monsters. These are the monster stats. Ah. Um, these are the items. These are the item stats. And that's part of the, the structure of the game so that um, it's not just chaos. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you had did something fun this weekend. I did something fun this weekend, this week as well. I finally, it's happened a few times. I was actually approached when they were first uh trying to get it going to have like an informal gathering to test this out before they started doing it okay but i always end up fucking working nights so i couldn't and i finally had enough of missing it and i was like f it and i booked the night off and i went to golden age hip-hop trivia Ooh! and i got fucking killed (laughs) who who murdered you diamond d (laughs) that's who murdered me um so basically you had you had your booklet you had a little booklet yeah and what were some of the categories there was like uh name album years mm-hmm. like that that i dig one was basically like you had half an hour to work on it with your team sort of yeah. thing and then like grade school you graded each other's papers yep. and then there was like an audio visual component for the second half yeah so it was like second half was like first half was like here's a bunch of mcs place them in like the boroughs they're from in yeah. new york Ooh. um there was one it's actually co-run by kagan mcleod freelance illustrator also uh artist on the image comic captara mm. um he does the booklets oh cool so like when it's like identify this video and he has drawn a image from the video yeah Yeah, that's awesome um and actually yeah they were giving away he's got this insane like history of hip-hop poster with like 250 like really tiny faces on it they were giving some away i've actually got one up there (gasps) that's awesome all i had to do was order a beer fantastic beer and free art and then in the second half it was like identify album covers by like a really tight crop Oh, narrow crop type of thing. Um, <laughs> the hardest one and the most fun one was like finish the rhyme. So they played like a bit. Yeah. And then the hardest thing was like not just rapping the last half. Mm-hmm. And the one that the most fun, they did the answers collectively. Right. At that one. And it's the other song Maestro Fresh West had. Sorry, get a look really like c- Canadian rap. And, talk he's getting, for a and he's getting real into it. So. Canadians all know Let Your Backbone Slide. Yeah. Maestro Fresh West had another song from that album. Okay. It's called Drop the Needle. Mm-hmm. And like going into the third verse, the line is So they play that, but it's just like, I'll wear a black tuxedo, black tuxedo. <gasps> That's what you had to fill in. And yeah. everybody in the room was like, Urgh. so then when it was finally answer time, everybody's just belting it out, including <laughs> the oh my god sample. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I love rap. <laughs> 
Um, but no, the one that killed me was, it's like, yeah, we try to do a feature on a, a certain artist every time we do this. Yeah. So for this section, it's like Diamond D remixes. Oh. <laughs> Diamond D is like a rapping producer. He was like prevalent in the 90s. Um, he has a song called Sally. Has Sally got a one track mind, which I adore, but I'm not like super familiar with them. And they weren't even playing. They were playing the instrumentals. Like, oh wow! Like, well, fuck, fuck that. <laughs> we are losing this. So I every so often, I've only done it once actually, and I really want to go back um, this upcoming week. I do a trivia night, uh, but it's a general trivia night mm. on um, Wednesday nights at a pub, and um, it's really great to see because it is general knowledge all these different people know these different things and they do a bit where it's all songs. Mm. And I got, I got a, like a Linda Ronstad song and I was like, yes, I was the only person to get that one. Um, so it's just interesting what people know, even from a topic like hip hop, right? Mm. There's so many levels of interest. Well, yeah, we had, we had a tiny team. Some teams were like up to like six to nine people. This is just three of us. It was me. It was me. Uh, my friend Christine and her sister, and you talk about that like areas of knowledge that like other people that you wouldn't know that other people might. Christine's sister is a little older than me, and they both kind of grew up kind of around this area, right? Um, so obviously, like the reggae influence is a little more mm-hmm. prevalent. So there was one section that was like, you know, who's the reggae artist on this song? And they would play some of it, and I just live like, you know, I know Shabba Ranks and Supercat, and that's like it. <laughs> Thankfully, they were both answers on that part, but it's like. Like Leslie knew, like other, she's throwing out people I had never even heard of because yeah. it was you know, it was more of a thing in this area, and she really knew her KRS one. Give her props for that. Oh, well, there you go. She she knew she spot his voice on anything, <laughs> but still super fun night. And the next time they have it, I'm just gonna book it off again because I have to redeem myself and and get my knowledge up. Um, and shouts to the venue. Is at this place called Lalo here in Toronto? Mm-hmm. It's a fairly newish bar, I think. Uh, small, I don't know if this event gets any bigger, how they're going to accommodate it. Cause it was pretty, pretty we, were at, we were at pretty much max occupancy, but yeah, like craft beer plus hip hop aesthetic, like, oh. like they had like the tribe called quest red and black and green, like kind of yeah. figure artwork going up the side. They had like most deaf albums framed on the wall, like type of thing. Cool. Um, so check out the Lalo on college street near Ossington. If you're in Toronto and you want a fun chill place to go and uh yeah check out know the ledge on facebook if you're in toronto and you want to you want to try to stump me which is apparently much easier to do than i ever consider <laughs> oh dear that's it's the worst when people bring up I'm a so, mirror to yourself i'm so wounded <laughs> it's pitiful we didn't even place i don't even know what our score was we just we just left dejected <laughs> that's, that's actually because we're like and like high school students like we couldn't like the one where it was like a picture of a video yeah point for the artist point for the title of the song yeah you didn't even notice that we were just putting song titles oh just leaving points on the table yep so we can't read instructions and they say that the kids can't right? read these days god i'm just so amped to like i know all these things blah blah blah, blah. i couldn't even read the goddamn oh, disgusting i am disgusted i really wanted that gangstar t-shirt uh, hopefully the prize is just school next time hopefully well Want to keep this moving? Yeah, I I don't have any news. I took a look. I went to IO9. I went to the Mary Sue. Went to Comics News. Nothing really. Well, here's a surprise to no one. Uh, Ghost in the Shell flopped. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was that. Last I heard, I think it made $19 million. Oh, is that? No. Domestically. No. That's it? Yeah. (gasps) 
It's terrible. Uh, it, does it really matter? It's going to matter like um, it's going to matter like how it does in China. Like that's the, <laughs> if China goes to see it, that's really all that matters. Still waiting on that. Um, one last note on the whole like whitewashing thing and Ghost in the Shell, and then let us never speak on it again. I believe it was the Hollywood Reporter mm-hmm. did an interview. It's a nice counterbalance to the uh, you know. Yuta, the YouTuber, asked Japanese people what they think of whitewashing. Right. Which, by the way, you know where else that video popped up on? Where? Milo Yiannopoulos' Facebook page. So that's Mm. kind of all you need to know about that. Yep. You idiots. But as a nice sort of counterbalance to that, I think, like I said, I think it was the Hollywood Reporter did an interview with like four Japanese actresses where they really kind of talked about this issue and what it means to them. Right. And the one point I remember in there was basically mentioning how like in japan you know whiteness is held up as the ideal so of course it's not going to matter to a japanese audience right that this is happening because it doesn't matter to them to them like yeah of course you want to do that because it's in them that culturally that that's the ideal anyway super interestingly read i will dig it up i will put links to it uh on the patreon notes and on the facebook group as well um it's a really good read other silliness that's been out there in the world Oh, because there was always silliness. We were so caught up in that, like, diverse books don't sell bit of silliness that came out of the Marvel Marvel, Retailer Summit. We totally missed another bit of silliness that came out from the Marvel Retailer Summit. Yeah. Which is that the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, Axel Alonso, had this to say regarding artists on comic books. Quote, there are fewer artists that impact sales than there are writers, Alonso said, and they're harder to promote. Quote, it's harder to pop artists these days, he said. There is no apparatus out there. There is no wizard magazine out there that told you who the hot top ten were. We don't have that anymore. We can hype our artists all we want. But I don't know if we know how many artists, besides maybe Steve McNiven and Olivier Copia, Coipel, absolutely move the needle on anything to be drawn. That is so ridiculous. That is very ridiculous. Um, and... Who wants to work for a company that says that? I Well, we, we talked about... I mean, this will come up in the second half of the show for sure. But we talked about a lot of, once you get sort of a name, why you wouldn't want to stick around on a big company. This just adds to that. Yeah. Just, um, oh, your company also feels like you're not selling books because... So, I mean, there were so many reactions out there from artists who currently work work on there. Um, and a lot of bemoaning that, like, maybe the artist could push the needle if you left them on a book for more than 12 issues. Yeah. Hey. Two points that I liked. One from uh, Colleen Doran, who is another one of my longtime OG lady comic heroes. Uh, she was on Twitter and said, quote, for years, some people in management have been trying to push the idea that any artist will sell a comic. So get anyone cheap, hire an artist, do almost no marketing, throw the comic out like an apology quote, artists don't move the numbers. Okay. There you go. And another interesting take was from Eric Larson. The, I think he's the publisher of image mm. right now. He was also one of the original image five. Yeah. Who, like left back in the day. And speculated maybe not speculated he probably knows for a fact that since the image five left them left marvel high and dry in the 90s yeah the basic policy has been like don't make artists stars yeah because, because then, then, they, then they can leave and leave you high and dry and your yeah. sales will plummet so just kind of keep them nice and keep them humble <laughs> keep them at the like thirty thousand dollar a year range yeah because that's you know not really enough to so, to there, start your own company there's some nice pot shots People like Jim Lee and other DC people talk about like artists, artists they know who move the needle. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. It, that's, Un- that's unfortunate phrasing. Um, I, I think it's an unfortunate mentality. And especially from um, an outsider's perspective, I would say art is the thing that draws you to a comic book immediately. It depends. Um, I definitely had resentment from the days of the 90s speculator boom where, like, the books were totally artist-driven. Right. Because then you would, f- when the image, like, listen, all those books that the Image 5 left to go make mm-hmm. were not good. Mm. <laughs> Youngblood, not good. Mm-hmm. Spawn, terribly written. <laughs> beginning Spawn was very good. And they started hiring other people to, like. Yeah, he, but he was Beginning like, Spawn like, was very good. here's where I want this to go. And then he had, like, you know, Brian Bendis or Stuart Moore or somebody, like, you know, yeah. maybe Stuart Moore never wrote on it. I can't remember. But, um, you know, go out and actually make something out of his idea. You know, yeah. McFarlane would be like, I want this, this, this to happen. And the writer would actually go off and actually make it seem good. But yeah, just that's basically what pushed me out was like, okay, this is all just about art. The stories are garbage. I don't care if it looks pretty. I don't, mm. If I don't want to read it. And then it seemed to veer hard in the other way where, like I said, when they just kind of, okay, we just need to let writers do their own thing and not force crossovers down everybody's throat sort of thing. Yeah. It really became a writer-driven business, which I appreciated. I don't think at the sacrifice to the art. Like, you still have guys like Frank Quitely and Jim Lee. and There's some some comic books. I can actually... There's only one that comes to mind, and it is not a, a big-name comic book. But they did a comic book version of Pride and Prejudice. Okay. And the cover art... Yeah, Marvel does this once in a while. Was it, was it Marvel? I couldn't Marvel remember. had, they did them just for the bookstore markets, I think, where they would do like comic adaptations. Okay. Well, they did a Pride and Prejudice and the cover art was absolutely beautiful and I was really excited. Flipped it open. Art was terrible on mm. the inside. Absolutely terrible. I'm sorry, the artist who does this, if they're listening and feels offended, it's just my, it's, I just didn't like it. I'm sure there are people out there who thought it was great, um, but it, it the, the person who did the cover art and the inside art were different, which often happens, um, but... I was very disappointed. Um, Listen, there are books I love that I know would be a hard sell because of the artist. There's yeah. a book called Gotham Central, which you may get at some point, which is basically how do you be a cop in Gotham when the Batman's running around? Yeah. Um, but the art is really kind of muddy and gritty and not fantastical looking. Mm-hmm. It's not bright and colorful. Like, it's kind of a hard sell it for somebody who... always have to be bright and colorful. It doesn't always, but I mean, like, you know, when I would when I would try to sell the book... When I worked at selling books, I would definitely... People were like, I want Batman stories. I would grab this book called Hush, which was Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee, mm-hmm. and say, like, if you want your Jerry Bruckheimer, Michael Bay, like, everything explodes, <laughs> Technicolor book, go with this one. That's what Jim Lee excels at. But yeah. if you want your moody... If you want, like, the wire set in Gotham City, it's a clumsy analogy, but, you know, read this book. And you could see what most people will kind of gravitate towards. It's a, it's a higher barrier to entry when like the art is not yeah. stereotypically pretty. Yes. But it's still a dumb thing to say. Oh, that that's basically the conclusion. <laughs> no matter what we agree or disagree upon, conclusion, that was just a dumb thing to say. That was a say. dumb thing to say. Like, don't piss off your artists. <laughs> like, like, just really. Who's like, oh man, I want to work for that company. You know, also talked about that your talent pool is low and that's maybe why your books are, sell- are selling so low well like we talked about last week well if you're alienating half of the create half of your collective creative teams anyway anyway i literally you can see it says news and there's nothing well i mean if you got nothing i saw beauty and the beast oh the live action yeah you want to save that for for updates or do it yeah yeah i'll save it for updates all right we'll save it for updates uh so we'll talk about 
King Lutzing, Beauty and the Beast, and other things that I've been watching. But before we do that, we're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, we'll talk about the things we brought each other. Comic Book Reading Club today. Comic Book Reading Club. And I am very curious to see how this one goes. Yeah, I am too, actually. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting, interesting all the way around this week. Yeah. But we'll get into that when we come back after this break. What's up, Geeky Dees? Welcome back to the show. This is the second half, the portion in which Caitlin and I will talk about the things we each brought each other, things we might not have encountered in our individual fandoms. Uh, safe bet this week, I think. I think so, yeah. Um, but before we get into that, we do have some rules. Rule one is the rule of three. If the thing runs on any sort of installments or parts or serialization. Or epicycles. Or epicycles. You have to check out three of said installments to give the thing a chance to be the thing it's going to be, to kind of find its footing and establish itself. Um, then the second rule is hashtag save it for the pod. Save it for the pod. Do not talk about the thing until you are sitting in front of these microphones. The third rule is, um, yar, there will be spoilers. This is a pro-spoiler podcast. If you can tell. I don't know how relevant it is this week. Kind of. Maybe. I think on both sides. I think what is relevant is the fact that both of them this you get more about the story in the world as it goes on. Yes. And we will get into that. Yes. So if and there are some surprises and that's part of the the bits about both books is sort of what you come to learn throughout the story. So if, so if you're looking at that cover image and you're like, Oh my god, I want to check out Monstrous or the Flintstones weird statement to say it's going to be weird the entire time we talk about it uh you're like I and mean, if you want to go into that completely cold you should probably check out yeah yeah definitely check out thanks for hanging out go get yourself some wasabi pringles and uh or you know tea with milk and sugar in it because it's delicious and i miss you i miss you tea caitlin can have it <laughs> try out some uh try out some poutine pizza pockets and if you're insane let us know how it was you monsters because we're not about to do it i bet you're the same people who put pineapple in their pizza you're, you're literally garbage. You're a garbage person. You're a garbage person. Just accept it. Also, we love you and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Patreon.com slash GeekDownPod. Yay! <laughs> Yay! We like to alternate the thing we begin with every week, so I believe this week, uh, Caitlin is up first. That's right. So, I've been reading this comic book since last year. Mm -hmm. It debuted in 2015, but I didn't pick it up until, I'm going to say, like, last fall. I was looking for new comics, and this had come up as being kind of awesome um Just at the library uh no i was on a website and they had mentioned that this is one of the oh. uh, really great comic and um it looked like something i'd be interested in because you know it looks magical <laughs> um and it is monstrous um it is an image comic because of course it is <laughs> um it the creative team is uh, marjorie liu um she's worked on x23 and dark wolverine nyx um she's also an american new york times best-selling author uh she writes That's what i knew her from paranormal romance slash urban fantasy um tiger eye and the hunter kiss are two of uh, her her books um the artist is uh sana takeda um I know her from Miss Marvel a little bit, and she's done some work on X-23, so that's probably where they've met, you know, or just because they both 
worked. Fine. Also, apparently, does like trading card art. She's Japanese, oh. and also I was reading up on her because you know she's Japanese, obviously. Obviously. And yeah, she does uh does like illustration for collectible card games in cool. Japan. Did not know that. Monstrous itself is an epic fantasy comic series set in a matriarchal alternate Asia. Um, the base of the story is there is, has been this uh, war between um, these things called Arcanics, which are magical creatures, and the Kumea, uh, which is an order of sorceresses who eat Arcanics to fuel their power. Um, it's sort of split between like the magical world and creatures and the human world and the Kumea who use magic in that human world. And there's like a big wall and all, all of that kind of imagery. Um, the main character is Micah Halfwolf. Um, throughout the story, she's trying to find out more about herself. And there's some kind of power in herself as well as about her mother. And she's wanting to avenge her mother. Is she trying to find out what happened at Constantine or? Yeah. There's some big event that happened in the war. Some like city was completely wiped out. Yeah. And she has something to do with it and you don't really know what, um, uh, the story itself deals a lot with racism, dehumanization, war, slavery. Um, there are all the main characters are, are female characters and they're all very nuanced and flawed, which is one thing I like in my characters, but either female or male. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really interesting story. It definitely gets better as you go in because you can sort of, you get to learn the characters more. There's obviously more backstory. Um, it's almost like, you know, at the beginning of uh, I can't think of, of maybe it's Muppets where they have like six different curtains and like behind every <laughs> curtain you like find out more about the world as you go uh -huh. uh, into each book. It's kind of like that. The art is phenomenal. I absolutely think it's stunning. Um, it's sort of got this dreamy quality to it. Like the lines aren't really hard. They're very, it's almost like soft lines in certain places. It's sketchy, not real like hard inked. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I have to say about the story. Um, Jordan, what'd you think? To reiterate, this is maybe the best drawn comic I've ever seen in my goddamn life. <laughs> it's, you want to talk about artists don't sell books? This is fucking gorgeous. It is. Like, I didn't want to like... Flabbergasted. Yeah. Like it's, it really actually is. Actually flabbergasted. There are so many panels and, and pages that you could, on, you could just frame. And you just be like, this is, this is the artwork that goes in a gallery. Yes. That said, make some of the inconsistencies in the art that much dis more disappointing. There, you will have like the most, in the first bit where like, so I read, I read the trade and I read the whole first collection, mm -hmm. uh, which is out, which is the first six parts. Did this thing come out in issues? Cause they seemed like beefy chapters. I actually don't know because mm. I started, uh, reading it online mm. um so i i just i would get them in clumps right yeah the chapter breaks are real beefy so i didn't even know if this came out in single issues or maybe the first issue was double-sized or i don't know what um i think it was i think it was a the i know it got um some notice for having the three first issues like together okay like it got uh i think they may have released them individually but they definitely put it together put them out again as a, yeah. as a three for um so yeah, in the opening scenes, you're basically seeing our main character, Micah, get auctioned off to this Kumea nun, witch collective coven, whatever. 
because uh, they want to do experiments on these arcanics, these kind of half-breeds of the ancients. And, and this is always the thing with fantasy, right? It comes down to world building and how yeah. well the world building is done. And I thought this did a very good job of building the world that this exists in. Um, aided and abetted at times. Listen, the book's got talking cats in it, which is always a plus in my book. With who, two tails. Who doesn't love talking cats? Yeah. And they apparently have their whole talking cat society. And uh, <laughs> periodically throughout, you will get uh, lectures from the esteemed Professor Tam Tam. Professor Tam Tam is amazing. Professor Tam Tam's little lectures uh, between chapters that just and, kind of flesh out the world a little bit. And uh, my favorite thing to say at home now is, as the poets say. <laughs> as the poets say, we're <laughs> fucked. But you'll have this, like, gorgeous image. Everything is... I can't even describe how fucking beautiful it is. But then you'll turn a page, and it was it was the scene where... So you're seeing, like, this one of the head nun witch whatever. What the hell was Sophia? Was that her name? The first one? I can't remember very good with names. She ends up getting, like, burned in the attack yeah. when Micah finally escapes. Um, but she's there to, like, pick out the, uh, the arcanics that she's going to mutilate and experiment on. And... That whole scene, like, she's drawn gorgeously. There's this dude she's with who looks like he stepped out of a goddamn Final Fantasy. Like, mm-hmm. he's... It's very reminiscent of that. A lot of the artwork. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. It's very... Oh, what's his name? Amano. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, now that you say it, and that Vampire Hunter D. Yep. And even oh. in, like, the sketchiness of the art... The sketchy quality of the artwork as that well. That just, like, hit me. I was like, oh, yeah. But... Like, and, watercolor almost. Here's the thing. Amano can't do sequential. Yeah. He's never wanted to. Um, the only times he's ever really stepped into, like, American comics have been, like, illustrated novels, basically. Mm-hmm. He did a Sandman book with Neil Gaiman, and the only reason he'd do it is if he could just basically do pinups. Yeah. Sana Takeda can do sequential, but I feel like the grind of, I don't know the schedule this book runs on, but I feel like the grind got to her. Because you mm. would see, you'd have these pages where, like, you know, so Sophia walks in and she's just fucking glorious, black-haired black dress lace everything gorgeous yeah and then there will be the scene shifts to them like traveling back to whatever camp and there's like a nun teaching these like adepts yeah about cats basically and, you, know, and don't, you can't don't trust, trust cats and then it shoots to like the cat in the cage that they have and it's like you would ask if this woman even knows has even seen a cat before like it's <laughs> it looks kind of rushed there was a scene later in the book where you get a flashback of micah and like a slave camp post yeah. Constantine exploding and whatever. And you see like a slave trader walking by and she's basically going to like throw a little food in there and have watch him fight for who gets it. Um, and all the hands are like outreaching, but the hands are all drawn. Like it looks like I drew the hands. Right. Like it's just like, <laughs> so here's a squiggle <laughs> line and that's hand and fingers. Um, it's not enough to really take you out of it, mm-hmm. but it is disappointing. It's like, man, I wish this book came out every i would wait for this book to come out every six months right if it meant the entire book could look as good as it does at its best right um but that's not to take anything away it's i'm flabbergasted by how good this book looks um and yeah story-wise not always my cup of tea this is a real this capital f oh yeah it is it's a soups fantasy and like you've got talking cats, you've got dudes with wings, sexy dudes with wings. You get sexy ladies with masks. Sexy ladies, and lots of sexy ladies with masks. Some chick gets stabbed with a unicorn horn. That's pretty badass. Yeah, it was um, badass. And I do like that she is that Micah is playing the 
she's kind of hard to root for. Like, yeah, she is what um, I don't don't recall if it's complicated man or you know uncomfortable man type of thing. You're Tony Soprano, you're Walter White, you're Don Draper. Is like when peak TV was really popping off, and you had all these like anti-hero male figures. Mm-hmm. It's basically kind of what they're doing with this Micah character yeah. in like a fantasy setting. She's got her own goals. She meets this adorable fox child. Yeah, she does. Who looks like a little, you know, listen, echoes of Kana. Not going to well, lie. It was so <laughs> funny because after I'd given it to you and you had um, sent me, we, as we know, talk on Facebook a lot, sent me this, I'm going to miss my daughter so much. And it's just this adorable gif of Kana. I had reread, started rereading the first three just mm. so I could yeah. remember what happened in the first three. Um, and I was like, what's her oh, name? Starts with a, it starts with a K too. It's like uh, Kippen or I don't know, something like again, that. Again, terrible with names. Terrible with names. Uh, both in literature and, <laughs> and in real life. It's adorable little fox girl who is threatened with death and mutilation basically at every yeah. turn. Um, and as a reader, you're like, protect this poor child. Mm-hmm. Micah doesn't really have no, any fucks for she's it. She's just like, why is it up to me to protect her? I don't even care. Nobody was protecting me. Yeah. I just got to look out for self. She's really looking out for self. Um, and the complication here is that, yes, as Caitlin mentioned, she's trying to find out whatever happened in this Constantine city that had been destroyed and possibly killed her mother. Oh, maybe she has an aunt floating around somewhere. I don't possibly. know who that, who that chick talking to the wolf the what the hell was her name you keep on asking me and i keep on telling you I'm <laughs> no they had a ter- they had a term for her when you see the like wolf queen whatever oh the the arcanics have the the dust court and the dawn court which yep. i thought was a i thought was an interesting world building twist that there's like you know the royal capital has these two courts that never cross paths well that's the that's actually comes from from fae and fairies okay but there's the summer court and the winter court speak on it um, well, this is, it, it's funny because things like, um, oh, um, the, okay. So there's, have you ever heard of White Wolf before? Nope. Okay. White Wolf, uh, has put out tons of role-playing games. Um, they're all about like, uh, games set like urban fantasy games. They did Vampire the Masquerade. Um, they did, uh, Mage, The Awakening. These are old, old titles. Vampire Ma- the Masquerade is probably the most famous of them, but they also did a game called Changeling. Um, and Changeling has gone through many iterations, but one of the first was uh, using this idea of the what is known as the Seely and Unseely Court. Um, Seely being like the summer court or the good court, and Unseely usually being like the winter court. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, having a summer court and a winter court, that goes back to legends in Scotland and Ireland and even, you know, Scandinavia um, about fairies having to be having good fairies and bad fairies, Um, a dawn court and a dusk court, like this, this, um, what you would say, you know, opposition, uh, yin yang kind of thing about nature mm. um and so she uses this sort of this mythology and that's what a lot of these characters are right they're they're fairies they're the things with wings and things with horns yeah. and things with tails um they're people who change into wolves and that as all has to do with legends about fairies well i had never encountered it before so shouts to you marjorie lou um yeah, so yeah, she might have an aunt floating around there as well, but basically she's trying at some point in the Constantine 
massacre destruction of this city that she's trying to find out what happened. She basically got some creature, demon, something kind of implanted in yeah. her. And uh, she's missing an arm. She's depicted on all of the like cover images of having this like sweet mechanical looking arm. But she then that never shows up in any of the stories we're told here. She just got her stump. And sometimes her stump explodes with demon tentacles. Yeah. That's pretty badass. That is pretty badass. Um, and yeah, that's the thing. When she gets, she gets like overtaken by this thing and basically like, like similar to the uh, Kumea nuns, eats people. Um, yes. She, she wakes up from a coma at one point after they have fled. And, and there was a third person with them. A, thir- a child. <laughs> a child, yes. Uh, did he have wings? Did he uh, have wings as well? Yes, he did. Uh, she basically wakes up and is like, oh man, what happened? Where's Where's the other kid? And the fox is like, uh, you ate him. Yeah, and I also don't want to be in the back of this cart with and you. I am not getting <laughs> I'm not getting in there with you, so oh. um, figure it out. So she's like, yeah, and it's also, you, you do feel a little bit bad for her because she has this thing in her and cannot control this magic and doesn't want to have this what she calls the hunger like she doesn't want this but at the same time i think the power is appealing yeah and she doesn't and she also doesn't really know how she got it no um and there are enough mysteries there to make it interesting i love the whole nun coven thing going on there i like professor tam tam's explanation yes for how they came to power which is basically in, like, one page, it runs through this whole history about, like, the emergence of the ancients, which are the magical beings, and how they kept shut up in humans, and that's how you ended up with Arcanics, because they're, like, half-magical creatures. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, the Kumea ended up killing one of them. Yeah. The shaman goddess or whatever, mm-hmm. like, killed one of the first ones or something. And basically, the human government were like, nah, they're religious. We can't prosecute them. Yes. And the Arcanics were like, well, fuck that. And that's basically how... A, how the, this nun order has, this witch nun order has been able to do whatever they want for the next, like, 200 years. Yep. And why the Arcanics are a little irritated with the human world. hmm So, Professor Tam Tam, just breaking it down, <laughs> breaking yeah. it down for you. Um, yeah, this was a really interesting read, and I was rather taken with it. Uh, improved as it went along. Yes. Oh, definitely. Um, I was a little, it wasn't bad. Listen, artists don't sell books. I was, the art was what was carrying me along mm-hmm. in the initial bit. Um, the story was eh, but then the story kind of picked up as she started grisly murdering people. Yeah. Gore is awesome. And the, uh, and you know, the, the, the whole, the Holy Mother, what's the, what's the head nun? I keep on asking me. I keep on (laughs) telling you. Do you retain anything when you read it? Um, not, not this one. (laughs) Um. I just reread it too. That's what's scary. And, you know, it, it's easy to forget because it looks so... You're just like, who are these people? I don't care. They just I don't look gorgeous. Care. Um, though that... The daughter's name is Sophia. Um, <laughs> the daughter's name is Sophia. Uh, Her mother is Yvette. I remember that. Yeah. Yvette was at Constantine with with uh, Micah's mom, mm-hmm. which is why Micah deliberately allows herself to be captured so she can, like, try to get some information. Does she steal the mask from them? Yes. Or did she already have the mask? No, she steals the mask from Yvette. The mask is bad. We don't know exactly why the mask is bad. No, but the mask but has something to do with... It's tainted. ...the power behind the tentacle eyeball monster that lives in her stump. Yep. Um, and at one point, they go by this giant mountain of tentacle eyeballs, and she says, yeah. like, the dead can't see us, something like that. That was a really cool moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting book, and I don't usually roll with, like, capital F fantasy, but if that's your bag, 
I think on the back it mentions it's got steampunky elements in there as well. I did not see a ton of that. I guess Art Deco slash steampunk is how the back of the trade described it. Mm. The art style, which I see more Art Deco than I do do steampunk, but there are elements there, I guess. Um, But yeah, if you dabble in high fantasy at all, like capital F fantasy, Mm -hmm. definitely, definitely check this out. Uh, Torontonians, it should be mentioned, as part of the Toronto Comic Arts Festival this year. I think they're doing some sort of like 25 years of image thing thing yep. as well. Um, the big sell for a lot of the nerds will be Charlie Adler. The artist of The Walking Dead will be there. But both Marjorie Lou and Sana Takeda will, will be, be at the Toronto Comic Arts Festival. Also, I'll be there. <laughs> also, I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> I would kind of like to say hello to these ladies and say, you're making some good shit. Yeah. And maybe even buy a copy of their book and be like, please sign it. Yeah. And I rarely ever want to do that. But this book looks so goddamn good. It is really beautiful. Um, so shouts to ladies making comics and shouts to, uh, image. And yeah, this was, this was soups fun. Uh, and it's an eight. Oh, nice. An eight. I did. Cause it came out of nowhere. Didn't even know it existed. Had never even heard of it. Oh, until that you, was a great conversation. Until you dropped it on me. <laughs> Jordan trying to get information about what it was I was giving him was hysterical. <laughs> to me, at least. Not like, to I'm him giving so monstrous. much. I don't know what that is. <laughs> And I almost pulled the, the, let me Google that for you. And he just, oh, uh, yelling over Facebook. Already had jerk face. (laughs) Also, thank you for giving me a comic I could read very quickly. You're not a three hour mini. Not a three hour Kurosawa movie. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of comics. eight for that. That first, yeah, yeah, that first trade is out there. I have not checked if it, I didn't check if it does images typical thing where the first trade is like mad cheap. I can tell you online if it is. (laughs) Hold on. Radio Magic. Yep, that is a smooth $10. Ooh. And listen, if you go out and you get uh, The Wicked and the Divine, Volume 1, mm-hmm. it's a good read. It is thin. This is at least three times the size of a typical. Yeah, like, it is. And listen, for $10, you have no excuse. No, we really don't. $8 digital, $10 print. Go do it. Get the print version. You're, you're going you're gonna to appreciate it. So, moving on. Yeah. What is maybe the weirdest thing that will ever be brought up on this show? This is not a thing. Well, maybe. This is not a thing I ever thought would come up. And when I first heard the statement I'm about to make in a few moments, I was like, there's no fucking way. You're kidding me. Yeah. I think I, I said the same thing. Even after we'd heard about it and you had said, I heard it was good. I went, what What? Mm. are you talking about? So one of the first things we ever talked about on this show way back we were still at the library i think yeah when we mentioned it the first time was that dc was doing a bunch of books based on the Hanna barbera characters yes and that they were doing more adult takes on the Hanna barbera characters yep scooby-doo has a much more you know almost predator-like take on those characters mm-hmm. i think shaggy actually ends up getting murdered oh god <laughs> maybe i'm not sure um like wacky racers is basically fury road like wow and one of the ones i don't think many i don't think many of them set the world on fire but one in there was they were doing a flintstones book mm-hmm. and i started to hear this rumbling that one of the best comics being done right now was this goddamn flintstones book and i'm like there's no way there's no way but that statement is just so absurd to me I'm like well i gotta check it out because that's a ridiculous sentence I'm going to say right now, this book is not perfect, but it is so bizarre. 
and kind of good. I don't know. As stupid Matt said last night, he is convinced DC does not even know this book is being made. (laughs) And I'm inclined to believe him because I don't, you read this book and you don't understand how it gets made. So this is the Flintstones. Um, This was launched in 2016. The writer is Mark Russell. He had done graphic novels, indie graphic novels before of a theological nature. Okay. Biblical retellings. Okay. Maybe makes sense. Yeah. Um, and drawn by Steve Pugh, who does all the issues. Always nice when you have an artist do all the issues with no fill-ins. It is, Just actually. Saying, it, it makes it more cohesive. Artists move that consistency needle. I keep coming back to that point. We're so this never is, letting it go. <laughs> it's the Flintstones. Yeah. The modern Stone Age family. Yeah. You know them. Fred, Wilma, Pebbles. You know these characters. But it's also American Beauty and Bedrock. I get a little, a little bit. Kinda. So it's basically a series of one shots. Yeah. Each story is kind of, each issue is kind of self-contained. Mm-hmm. Um, and deals with a certain theme. Mm-hmm. Basically, you are dealing with Bedrock as a new civilization. And these yes. characters don't know what civilization is. Yeah, they're not sure how to navigate they're what that is. basically trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So the I gave a reread this morning. Uh, the first issue is basically about outsourcing. Yeah. Oh, and that's the other thing. They deal with very modern issues yes. in this old civilization. And it, the book is also not a drag. No. The book no, is it's funny. Not. It's funny and it's actually sweet, too. Um. Which I think is an important thing to mention. But it really kind of looks at like, well, okay, if you came from a pre-civilization society, yeah, what adjustments would have to be made? You know, some of the broad ones that always get called out when people talk about this book is like, marriage is weird. Yeah. I don't know. How far did you get? Um, I, I finished the third. I just about started the fourth. And I know, so I know where you're going with that. Um, yeah. Marriage is weird. Um. For the bulk of the society, it's still very much like procreate. Yeah. Get out there. Get in the sex cave. Each. Yeah. Each. Uh, everybody. Each, everybody should be pregnant all the time. Each, you know, each child should have a dozen mothers and yeah. 15 fathers. Monogamy is weird. Yeah. And Fred and Wilma are married. Yeah. This is a very weird thing. To give you a taste of the type of tone we're dealing with, because I cannot describe the tone of this book. Mm-hmm. Fred and Wilma go on this marriage retreat. Mm-hmm. Um. Which is, again, it's a weird thing. Marriage is a very odd sort of thing. It's not the norm. So friend and Wilma go on this retreat, sponsored by the church. The church plays a weird, Amazing. Ongoing, ongoing theme as they try to establish their God, basically. And I'm sure we'll talk about oh. the, the changes that goes through. But they're on this retreat, and the they're basically voicing their concerns about being married. Yeah. And sorry if this is a spoiler for you as well, but it's really, okay. it's one of the most devastating moments in the book the reverend priest deacon whatever gerald in chief asks asks does anyone does anybody have any misgivings about marriage fred what worries you and then fred flintstone fred flintstone fred flintstone says this that wilma will stop loving me marriage is like insurance you only enter into a lifetime commitment because you're afraid of the future but does being married mean she'll love me forever? Or is it just my attempt to keep her from finding someone better? Is marriage really a sacred bond or just the illusion of security? Oh my god, that is devastating. Fred fucking Flintstone just said that. And that's the other, that's, 
a big part of why the story works is that Fred is a very different character. He's real somber. He's somber and he's not Wilma. Like he's, he's not an oaf. He, he, there are elements of, of, uh, man of the houseness to him but it's he's never an oaf he's actually very sensitive and there's like a yeah there's like a moment in the second issue where so the second issue is basically about consumerism yeah and they are now discovering money and that what do you do with money i don't yeah. know you buy stuff you don't need with it. uh you uh buy crap crap it's called crap yeah um and betty and barney get a tv yeah a tv <laughs> and when it turns on Fred is like startled by it. He's like ready to throw a rock at it. He's, he's like, like the wall is talking. No, he he says uh uh ah wall demon like that. That's what he says. And when the guy comes on and he's like hello, and Fred's like hello, <laughs> and they're like, like he can't, can't hear, can't hear you. you. So there are moments like that, but it's like very lovable and not like yeah, you summed it up perfectly. He's not an oaf. Um, and he's like a you, war veteran. Yeah. Well, you were talking about there's a moment in the second issue, and. Um, I, that's the same one about, about Wilma's art, right? Um, so Wilma does these hand art paintings and they get into what that, what this art means to her. And she shares that with Fred and Fred's like, I don't really feel like I knew you until this moment. And it's like this really beautiful, loving moment in the Flintstones. And they also do... So they do these really interesting things um, that let you take a perspective at our world through the lens of this sort of ridiculous mm-hmm. stone-aged world. Um, but they also do funny things with this, with like the wall demon stuff. Um, they also have like Outback Snake House. <laughs> and like the vacuum cleaner is an elephant. And like they... We have to put a pin on the animals because that is a much bigger thing yeah. that we need to get into. But yeah, so like the first issue is about, so yeah, the theme of the first issue is basically outsourcing where Mr. Slate, the owner of the quarry, has found these like what he calls chromags, yeah. which clearly there's some racism there because yeah. he tasks Fred with showing them around to try and woo them into working for the Slate quarry because they have no concept of money so they he can pay them less. Yeah, he's a scumbag. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> um, and as Fred, the, you know dutiful worker who values his job uh he's employee of the month actually yeah he is showing them around town and takes them to the outback snake house into like a bare knuckle mma fight type of thing and yeah sorry just just because we're on that in the background like the guy's dying and like birds are eating at his face but anyway oh my god is he I didn't yeah even notice yeah that. it just Ew. some of the background <laughs> stuff every so often is amazing and as barney says yeah, my favorite part is when he lost consciousness yeah. barney is the oaf in this yes. barney is really depicted as an oaf and when he gets in the car he's like you know, the classic foot-powered yep. <laughs> Flintstones car. He gets in and he kind of looks at Fred and is like, Fred, you know there's a bunch of Cro-Mags in the car? <laughs> like, nod to racism there. And the weirdest thing in this that gets alluded to a lot throughout is there was a war. Yeah, a big war. They There was a war for Bedrock. Yep. Because they, who the powers that be, I think Slate was probably involved in that too. Um, they wanted to take the land. Yep. There were people already in the land. The tree people. They had to remove them. So They set their trees on fire. Bernie and Fred and a bunch of other people all went to war to kill the tree people and take their land. Yeah. Grand Order of the Water Buffaloes, which you always saw in the Flintstones, actually a veterans group. Yep. And as we find out, I believe in the third issue you find this out, Yabba Dabba Doo 
is a nonsense word to deal with post-traumatic stress. Yep. It's yabba, yabba. You can yabba at anything, <laughs> tenth, you know, anything you feel you can't handle. Just remember you can yabba, yabba, yabba do, do it. it. What? Yeah. Yeah. It gets, it gets weirdly heavy, heavy, but then they do a really good job of balancing that with with stuff like the yabba dabba do so like it's yeah so it's that, that, sad but but funny at the same time so you're you're acknowledging that these horrible things had happened and this is actually a word to help them but that's also kind of silly and it also you know that really intense moment where that revelation is made is same is the same issue where like a bunch of aliens come to bedrock on spring break type yeah. of thing um and though i have to say uh they killed joe and i will never forgive them no <laughs> joe joe on hold at the suicide joe <laughs> who's like this music better be damn good Welcome to the bedrock veteran suicide prevention hotline please hold well i'll hold but this music better <laughs> better be great um um and the second issue has to do with consumerism. Yep. Basically, where it's like they don't know. They've invented money. What do they do with it? The washing machine is an octopus. They have to. Well, and, and this is. Okay, so let's get into this. Where this main thread. I've read. There's 10 issues out, I think. I've read them all. Right. And the absurdity of the animal appliances. Yeah. Is leaned into really hard and is maybe the most effective thing in the book. Just the bizarre absurdity of yeah. this idea. Well, there's, and also the the this juggling of like dinosaurs and mammals, and mammals right? Yeah. Which is ridiculous. And they they do a really good job of just like a throwaway line at the beginning or in the middle or something, saying that like the we found this civilization that is much older than any other civilization we had found before, um, and they'd build many stone structures, and it's bedrock right yeah. and they've got like a walmart but actually it's made out of stone and they're selling animal appliances so as they're developing money they need something to spend their money on and this is where you get these animal appliances yeah um which we will recall from the flintstones the can opener was a bird the the record player was a bird the coat rack was a, like a moose like, yeah um and my favorite power goat <laughs> which is a lawnmower but is actually just a goat tied a up goat tied to a stick and <laughs> if you want like the absurdity of this Power Goat is really amped to do his job. Yeah, and, and, and it says and, Power Goat. Sorry, also bearing in mind, the animals are sentient and they can talk. Which I is also really weird. don't know if they can talk to the people or I if think the they, people can hear them. Because there's a they, couple moments where they directly talk to yeah. the people. Um, but Fred's out to like do the lawn work. And he's like, alright, Power Goat, let's do this. And Power Goat's like, Power Goat! Like, all he does <laughs> is say his own name. And he's he's super amped about it. He's like, oh, Power Goat. And then at the end, it's like, Fred's like, well, I guess that's done. And he just chucks Power Goat into the garage. And Power Goat's like, a Power Goat? Yeah. <laughs> um, and there are moments that come up with that later on. There is a relationship between the vacuum cleaner, yeah. which is a pink elephant, mm-hmm. and the bowling ball, which is an armadillo. Yeah. And the friendship that they form later on, which is just kind of beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time. Yeah. Like, there's a moment where, like, so they they just throw the elephant into the closet and shut the lights off because he's he's property. He's mm-hmm. an appliance. Um, this must be later. It's a few issues yeah. later, yeah. And he's like, the bowling ball's just kind of hanging out, and the bowling ball describing what his life is like. <laughs> <laughs> he hears the vacuum cleaner basically saying, like, you know, is anybody there? Can you open the door? Like, I'm scared of the dark type of thing. Um, and the armadillo opens it up. It's like. It's like, oh, hey, who are you? It's like, I'm um, the vacuum cleaner. Who are you? I'm a bowling ball. What's a bowling ball? 
I don't know. He throws me down this long lane at these like stone pins and everything goes black. And I think this is the moment I'm going to die. And then I come out of a, I come out of a tunnel and he does it again. Oh my God. <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> so the way it leans on the absurdity of this notion of like using sentient creatures who are basically slaves and like, yeah. Um, but as far as the tone of the humor, the one moment I remember howling, laughing at mm-hmm. when I was reading it and how laughing in the laundromat again this morning as I was rereading it before this episode. The third ep- the third issue is about science. Yes. Kind of. And, and there are notions of science. Yeah. And it opens with a space launch. <laughs> which, <laughs> which which they have a Carl Sagan. Clearly the Carl yeah, clearly it's Carl Sagan. Um he's <laughs> he has Pebbles class. Yep. Is Pebbles and Pebbles and Bam Bam's class are uh, are in there. So they're doing a space launch, which basically involves taking a chimp, putting it into like an unsealed capsule, and then they launch it by dropping a brontosaurus on like a teeter-totter Yep. <laughs> to catapult it into the air. And as they are about to do this, they're setting it up. The chimp turns to the brontosaurus <laughs> and, and says, says, tell help. my wife I love her. And the brontosaurus goes, she knows. <laughs> How does this get me? So I think the writer is actually a genius to a take something with such a it's just such a it's just such Flintstones, right? Like how do you how are these the lanes you think to go down exactly. with these characters? Or the, or yeah. yeah, I think he must be a genius because I would never think Flintstones funny, right? Flintstones was not funny when I was a kid. Not to me either. I low key kind of despised the Flintstones. I did because I didn't you know like what? the animation. I didn't like the humor. I didn't like any of it. Exactly, and it used to come on when I could be watching better television. <laughs> You're taking up my television time, Flintstones. Yeah, it was like Saturday afternoon or something. The Flintstones would come on. I was like Flintstones and Jetsons. It's like there's literally nothing else on but this, and this yeah. sucks. I fucking hate it. I don't care about your '60s throwback humor type of thing. Like, yeah. This is I I. That it's one of the best things I've read in recent memory, and it's the fucking Flintstones, and I don't know how this happens. Yeah, but and I really do. Um, we've talked a lot about art in the other book, and none with this. I really do like the art. Yes, um, it should be said it's very. It's not. It's not cartoony. No, <laughs> Fred's ripped. <laughs> I mean, well, I they're he, all kind of ripped. I guess he's always kind of yeah. ripped, but at the at the uh, at the slate the slate Corey hot tub party that happens <laughs> in issue one, you see Fred in his like you know onesie yeah. <laughs> unitard, and it's like. Damn, Fred. Um, um, not perfect. I'm not going to say that this is a perfect book. There are mm-hmm. definitely some like, like Fred has that moment where he basically bears his soul at the marriage retreat. It's never really picked up again. It's not like him and Wilma have a conversation about that yeah. later. Um, so there are moments like that where like this really sublime moment will happen and then it's just kind of left there. Mm-hmm. I may have liked more character moments like that. I think it does suffer to, to a certain extent of being a single issue every single topic basically every issue um there's a real savage take about economics in like the seventh issue i think the whole thing there's a savage take about economics yeah kind of the whole thing about civilization being um, a sham basically yeah (laughs) it's a sham we're all we're all in on and trying to ignore that it's a sham um or the bit with the tv where it's like it's like, uh, hey, welcome to the news where we tell you what happened if we have footage of it. If we have footage of it. And then at one point they show some horrible thing. Like, we probably shouldn't have shown that. So, but oh, we're all new at it. Oh, so. there are kids watching this? Oh, well, we probably shouldn't have shown that. Sorry, yeah. everybody. We're new at this. Um, and then the running gag throughout is every time they watch the news. And it's like, you know, I'm I'm rock. 
I'm Rock Brodsky. Welcome to the no, Bedrock. It, it's it's Rock Stone. <laughs> I'm Rock Stone. Welcome to the Bedrock News. Here's the things we decided to tell you about. Yeah. Um, it gets into politics later on. There's a mayoral election mm-hmm. with, uh, with Claude the Destroyer. I and, think his name and is. In that episode with the the third episode is the one with Carl Sagan. It's the aliens episode. Yes. Um, which works the Great Gazoo. Yes. In. Um, there. That's the one where they talk a lot about um, our veterans. And oh yeah, that's what it was. It had this real like savage take about veterans and, affairs and how we we don't care about our veterans. We were we, heroes when we came. You know, if the aliens are here, maybe they'll need us again. Yeah, that's yeah. what one guy says. And we, we came back from the wars. We were heroes. And even in the end, they don't. Um, they don't. You know, thank the heroes. Um, erect a statue to the monkey. Yeah. <laughs> Um, to the chimp who died. Not to Joe, who died, who I loved, um, but to the chimp. Joe was in like three pages. He had a very pro- profound effect on you. He did. He did. Poor Joe. Rip Joe. Well, anyway. Yeah, I was... I don't think it's it's perfect, like I said, but it was one of the most bizarre reading experiences I ever had, and I just wanted to see what the hell you made of it. Um. I I mean we talked both about it back and forth so you can kind of get a sense. Um I wasn't expecting what I got. Um it was a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. I definitely made me like it was humorous which the Flintstones and humor were never two things I thought would be, <laughs> you know, part of the same thing. Um I I really liked it. Um I really, like I said, I like the art. I like the, the jokes in the background um, and the bizarre, like I do like the bizarre. So that was part of what I liked about it. Um, and I like the sensitive mo- moments. You know, there's so much buffoonery and like, you know, very much 60s man of the house. Wilma, like, <laughs> yo, she bought too many shoes, right? Like they even actually, there's a, a really interesting. I had the online version. Um, they show some of the alternate covers, alternate covers yeah. and they also show some of the sketches of the alternate covers. And one of them, the sketch is, uh, uh, it's Barney and Fred while um, the women are buying shoes, and they look kind of bewildered. But then what they went with was uh, Wilma, uh, Barney, and uh, what's her name? Betty. Betty. Um, all buying shoes and Fred's the one who's like, what is going on mm-hmm. here? So yeah, anyways, that I feel like they've done some really interesting things with it and uh, taken it to a kind of an uh, interesting, funny, weird place. Um, and I'm going to probably keep on reading it. What are you giving it? I'm giving it a seven. 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 Fair. Should also be noted Mark Russell's next project? Mm-hmm. Snagglepuss. Really? Southern gay playwright. Also going to be interesting i I can just feel it yep that'll be that'll be a good one to check out so listen quality in the least expected places people yeah but again like i think probably someone just left them alone with this and went sure i, you I would, want I would love i gotta see if he's ever posted the if mark russell's ever posted the pitch like whatever he gave them yeah check that out friends updates caitlin saw beauty and the beast i saw beauty and the beast how was that it was terrible really it was so so bad (laughs) you have strong opinions i have so many strong opinions it It was it is caking up at the box i know i know it was awful the acting was terrible absolutely terrible um but hermione 
well, she Emma, Emma Watson was pretty. She was pretty good. She was okay. Some of the okay. Now no, pause. Pause. Okay. All right. Pause. Okay. Pause. Yeah. Is this because you ride or die for Angela Lansbury? No. Kaylin. Okay. I'm trying to judge your face right now and I can't tell. You ride or die for Mrs. Potts. I I, I love Mrs. Potts and I love Angela Lansbury. Um, but I'm fine with people taking on the role <laughs> besides Angela Lansbury. Was anyone really going to ever match up to my opinion of Angela Lansbury as in the role of Mrs. Potts? No. But that's fine. Ewan McGregor has the worst French accent of anyone I have ever heard ever. Who the hell does Ewan McGregor play? Lumiere. Oh my god. Right? It's so, and I had heard <laughs> I did bits not and read, I did not read the IMDb page for this film. Oh, it it's bad. Ian McKellen phoned it in. Um it was really weird. They added things to the story that they did not need to add. Like really stupid stuff. Some of the best parts they they changed so they weren't as great. Um some things they did I really did like. They did definitely make um, make Belle way more feminist and awesome and cool, but they s- sacrificed other things that they really needed, in my opinion, to to pay attention to. Um, some of the uh the graphics for the Beast were not very good, mm-hmm. especially in in close up shots. It was good, but when they did a shot of him like walking, it it looked bad. Like it didn't look natural or real, and it kind of popped you out of the story. Um, yeah, but they just added too much extra stuff that didn't need to be there. Um, and I didn't think it was funny enough. Also, no real bromance between Lumiere and Clogsworth. I could go on forever about what was wrong with this movie. So many opinions, y'all. I hated it. I thought it was terrible. I couldn't. And they added some songs that didn't fit and were really bad. Don't add songs if they're not going to be amazing. Why would you do that? Anyways, yep. If anyone really wants to talk to me about this, well, I would be that's happy. A hard no on Beauty and the Beast. Oh, if, if you differ, go see Power Rangers. I haven't seen it, but I hear it's amazing. If you have differing opinions, let her know on the Facebook page. She apparently has more time to reply to you. So bad. Um, that all I got. Yep. Uh, what do I got? Uh, I bet you thought I forgot because that hasn't come up in a while. What? Riverdale's still kicking. Oh God. Swole, Have they figured out who's murdered who? Swole Jughead a couple episodes ago. Jughead and Betty are dating. What? Which is bizarre. I'm kind of not for. No. Um, And he was like mad swole on like a construction site a couple episodes ago. <laughs> Most people I talk to are not a fan of Swole Jughead. <laughs> Walking around in his tank top and his hard hat. Looking all beefy. Um, All about the maple syrup dynasty that the Blossoms are running in the last episode. I don't even know. Town runs on maple syrup, fam. I don't even know. Hey, that's good for our economy, the Canadian economy, so whatever. And listen, like in the, the Jughead's voiceover always does the opening, and yeah. he's like trying to like sell on the like cash cow that is maple syrup, and it's like, it's like the blossoms, we, we feasted on the sweet, the sweet nectar the blossoms provided, and I'm like, how much fucking maple syrup are you people eating? Like, <laughs> stop it. Have a vegetable. Um, I think there's only one episode left and maybe two episodes. Go to Fortino's, get some produce. (laughs) That's sweet produce at Fortino's. Um, yeah, the show is still ridiculous, but, uh, God, God bless it. It's delicious trash. Um, finished up my, my winter anime for the season, Mm -hmm. which is basically Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. Yep. Which ended on a, a somewhat sweet note as Toru started to consider that 
Miss Kobayashi will get old and die long before Toru does. And what does this mean for her life? And then her dad showed up and tried to like take her back and did take her back. And Mm -hmm. there was some very touching, touchingly directed moments as Ms. Kobayashi, A, accepts that Toro left and she's not coming back or tries to. And how she, the house progressively gets more unkempt. Kana is getting progressively depressed. Um, And we knew we have to protect Kana at all costs. Yeah. and then it ended on a high note. It was a good show. And I also uh, finished up Scum's Wish, that show about teenagers who fuck each other. That's, yeah, right. I, I don't, that show will perplex me till I die. I don't, who was that show for? Why were we watching that show? Why did I watch that show? Why did you watch that show? Uh, I don't know, because I started watching it and I was like, I was just, as an experiment. Oh, it's one of those, I can't, I have to finish this book things. Yeah. And I was like, what was the point of this? Why did I watch this? If you know, if you have like, if anybody has the advanced theory of Scum's Wish, like, get at me, I guess. I don't know mm-hmm. if you'll convince me, but um, one show from this season, as I'm still trying to suss out what's worthy in this season, mm-hmm. um, one show that I did watch today while doing laundry this morning that I'd heard good things about was a show called Sakura Quest. I believe this is the done by the same studio that did a show called Shirobako and another show in a similar vein, which is their, quote, working woman trilogy okay women in jobs basically shirobako was about women trying to break into the animation industry i don't know what their first one was this is a show about a recent college grad named yoshino who can't find a job and she did some like low-key modeling uh while she was younger and her agent hooks her up with this job to go out to a small town in the sticks yeah and work with their tourism board to be their queen and <laughs> she she's gonna be their queen yep Similar to how every town has like a mascot. Yeah. This is basically what she's going to do. She's going to be the queen of Chupacabra Kingdom, which is the like, you know, fake kingdom they've set up to draw tourists to this town. Oh my God. And she had only one episode out yet. So, I mean, she has no, she has no desire to do this. She's got to stay there for a year, apparently. Like that was the contract. She's right. going to be the queen for a year type of thing. And she does not want to do this because she grew up in the sticks and all she wants to do is live in Tokyo and do that yeah. and make a life there, but she can't get a job. The tourism board is a bunch of lunatics and old men who really like believe in the town and oh <laughs> and the dude thought he was hiring this idol singer he loved when he was a kid, but she's been dead for eight years and now he's got this like youngin that he doesn't like and doesn't know what to do with. Um and there will be more fabulous ladies showing up. A lot of best girl contenders on this show, I can even tell just by watching the uh right. watching the opening credits. But right now, early contender for, for Comfy Watch. Okay. Comfy Watch of Winter. If you're watching it, let me know. I don't I haven't read any reviews yet. I know Miranda from the old anime club. Was really digging it, but uh, yeah, that's I. I have no direction. I don't know what to watch on the anime season because I'm not going to watch Attack on Titan. So, uh. yeah, Sacro Quest. That's the only one I'm checking out. Uh, I might even check it out with a description like that. It's it's only anime could tell this story. Yeah, and only anime would tell this story. So those yeah. are, those are always the ones I'm drawn to. Listen, I tried starting another show called Clockwork Planet because I was like, maybe I can give this to Kate at one point. And within yeah. five minutes, I was like, this no. is stupid. <laughs> bye bye. Um, so yeah, that's basically all I'm watching right now. Um, yeah, I guess we gotta get out of here. Yeah, we gotta go. It's a nice day out. I gotta get out of here. It is a gorgeous day. Yeah, I need to pass out and waste it by sleeping, and Caitlin needs to go out and play. But then you have tomorrow. I do have tomorrow. You have all the tomorrow, and it's supposed to be 19 tomorrow. 19. We start with Weather Talk, we end with Weather Talk. (laughs) That's how we do it here on the Geek Down Pod. Full circle. Twitter at Geek Down Pod. Email geekdownpod at gmail.com. If you would like to email us, that's the way to do it. 
or get at us on our Facebook group www.facebook.com forward slash geek damn pod if you listen to this episode and you were like my god this was the best hour and change of my life I want to ensure that I can continue to get this goodness dripped into my ears patreon.com slash geek down pod so yeah thank you for all the people who have supported us and uh, if you do decide to support us it would mean the world to us and even if you don't just thanks for hanging yeah we appreciate it we'll be back here next week as we always are my name is Jordan Ferguson and my name is Caitlin McKinnon theme music is by Rob Gasser and we'll be back here next week for another fantastic episode of the Geek Down Podcast see you then I have lip gloss, I have lip balm, and I have chapstick. You have an issue is what you have. You know what? Why don't you fuck off? How about that? Is that an issue? Because you can fix it by fucking off.